So like a month ago, I made a huge mistake. I volunteered to preach on resilience. Next time, I'm going to volunteer to preach on favor. Uh, Because I had the most challenging month. I actually had to cancel my first time to speak on this message because of the month that I had. So just just to give you an idea, so Robert and I are talking, you know, hey, what are we going to plan out the next summer series? I have a message on resilience. And so why don't you preach it this Sunday? And I said, great. Uh, A couple days later, my family of six all contracts COVID at the same time. We discover termites in our home. We're going to have to tent our house now um, over the summer. My kids missed their last week of school, including a piano talent show, uh, a field day. We have to reschedule and cancel my daughter's birthday party. And so all that goes on. And, uh, and then we kind of are starting to get over sickness, and it's time to go on vacation. And so we've had this trip planned to the south, the southern part of the United States, for my kids to go to a camp and my family to relax uh, for, you know, a couple months. And we scheduled it before, uh, typically, the heat wave hits the south. Well, the heat wave came early this year. So it was 105 degrees, and we were there uh, uh, angry every time we opened the car door because of the heat. Uh, And we're picking up our kids at camp. My mother-in-law passes out because of heat stroke. So I'm having to get, like, the camp nurse golf cart and, you know, take care of her. The place we're staying for the week, our Wi-Fi was down. I mean, really. That's just the devil right there. Um... I run out of data on my cell phone plan. Uh, flights are delayed. Uh, driving to the airport to fly back to California, my youngest child gets the stomach bug. Oh, he also learned how to cry, climb out of his crib that week, by the way, just for you moms. So that was, that was a blessing. Um, and uh, on, the, on, the way, on the flight back, our kids are starting to go down uh, ill again. I don't know what it is. We just had COVID. So it must be something else. And uh, then, you know, I'm trying to catch up the next week, right? So I'm trying to catch up from work because I haven't had Wi-Fi for a week. And then my kids just, like, cyclically are going down with this other virus. Their fevers are at 103, 104, you know, super challenging. I hop on a flight. You know you've had a busy, crazy month when you're looking forward to an eight-hour overseas flight sitting next to a stranger to relax, okay? So that's the headspace I was in. So we, we, I fly to Greece to be part of our global gathering with our missionaries all over the world. And uh, then my wife starts calling me about kids that are going to have to go to the hospital because their fever has been going on so many days. They can't hold down fluids. So much drama. And uh, it's going to be a long time before I volunteer to preach on a topic like resilience. And I know my story seems a little uh, maybe far-fetched. It's actually not made up. But it kind of reminds me of what we've all been through the last couple years. It has just been crisis after crisis, drama after drama, issue after issue, and it's just like you can't keep up. Actually, we can't even remember all the things that have happened. Um, our, our department heads, we have an annual leadership training day, and so we did that at the beginning of May, and we thought, let's, let's really discover what we've learned um, as leaders over the last season. So we drew two timelines on a whiteboard we drew January 2020 and, and a line on the top and a line on the bottom. The line on the top, we, we wanted to draw everything that had happened in the world. And on the line on the bottom, what we've learned as leaders personally and as a church. You know what was amazing? There were crises that I had just totally forgotten about. Like they just got rolled into some other thing, some other scandal, some other issue. And if you're tired, if you're more than a little discouraged, if you felt like giving up, I 
I just want to give you space for that today and say, hey, you're human. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being at church. <laughs> we're, we're glad you're here because I think everyone has felt that way over the last couple years at some point or at several points. During the last couple years, there's been this buzzword that's become very popular in our culture, the word resilient. And it's become, you know, popular in mental health circles. Also in the corporate world, uh, Deloitte, which is a big consulting firm, they have a whole course you can go through on developing a resilient organization. The Harvard Business Review, big business publication, um, has multiple articles on secrets to building resilience. Forbes, which is a magazine on business and wealth, things like that. They declared 2021 resilience was the word of the year. And you can actually see on the Google Trends website, if you've ever been to that website, it shows you who's searching what and how often. Resilience is at like an all-time high, just even the use of the word. So it's a word that's out there. Who's heard that word out there in the news or seen it online? Yeah, it's just like it's a common word now. People are using it very frequently. Let's look at the definition of the word resilience. This always helps me to look at definitions. It's a word from physics. And it comes from two words, re and salre. Re, which means back or looking back. And the other word, which means to jump or to leap. So this is actually kind of awesome. The literal definition of the word resilience means to bounce back. To bounce back. Um, it's a word that's associated with withstanding shock, returning to form after disruption, maintaining strength, not giving up. So today I want to speak to you from the subject, developing a resilient soul. Developing a resilient soul. Are you ready to develop a resilient soul this morning? Bible says this, uh, Proverbs 24, verse 16. This is a great uh, picture of resilience in the life of the believer. Though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again. Yeah. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, I'm rising again. There we go right? God calls believers to be resilient. That's God's desire for us. And, and maybe different than what you've seen on social media or on a podcast or YouTube or whatever, there, there's a lot of good habits that you can have in your life to develop resilience. But as believers, our resilience actually comes from the inside. It comes from something that God has done and is doing in us. It reminds me of this verse, 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? So, so if we're following Jesus, God is with us. He's in us. He's put his spirit in us. And he's saying, hey, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have resilience. And, and I love this thought because it's a message of grace. What I, what I don't want you to do is walk away from this message with a big to-do list. I'm actually wanting you to go to God and say, God, how do you want to put resilience in me in this season? It, it's kind of like the difference in the book of Genesis between the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. The tree of knowledge represents like what we can learn and accomplish in our own strength. But the tree of life is when we come to God to receive something from him. Only God can put something in your soul, right? And so let's be a people that go to God for our resilience and ask him to do that in our hearts and in our lives. As we do that today, I want to show you a little pathway um, that we designed that's going to be the path to resilience this morning. 
And so my goal for you is for you to actually assess where are you on this path to resilience today as a follower of God. So here's the first thing, rest. Second, reframe. Third, recreate. And then finally, where we want to be is being on the journey to resilience. So let's talk about rest for a minute. Everyone just hold up your cell phone real quick. Everyone got a cell phone? I know you have one. You're not, you're not tricking me. Okay. So now, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your cell phone and look at the battery life. Look at the battery level. The battery level. And now I'm going to ask you to do something very vulnerable. We're in church. Okay? You have to be honest. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say what percentage charged your cell phone battery is. I know. Man, this is so vulnerable. By the way, young adults, I'm just trying to get you a date right now. So, you know, use the opportunity. Um, Okay. So I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes I can live on the edge with my cell phone battery. I'm a, I can be an under 20% guy. I'm just going to be honest. I've got several chargers. I've even got one of those great, one of those great chargers that you like lay the phone down on and it's supposed to charge. But I, I could, I could still live dangerously. Anybody out there under 20% right now on their cell phone? Might be a couple with us. Okay. Wow. Jeff. All right. (laughs) Thank you for that honesty. Yeah. (laughs) So for me, when my cell phone gets charged, and I mean, it loses its charge, it gets under 20%, maybe this happens to you, I might be making it up, but I feel like my phone doesn't work as well. Does that happen to you guys? Okay, so it feels like the connection gets bad. Uh, I don't get like video messages as easily. There's just, it's on the fritz. Things are not working light. And I wanna submit to you that your soul does the exact same thing. When your soul battery gets low and you don't abide by Pastor Hudson's message a couple weeks ago and learn how to rest and declutter your soul, you lose your charge. You have trouble sending the right messages. Sometimes you send the wrong messages. You ever send a text to the wrong person? Ooh, right? Sometimes you have trouble receiving messages. Your connection with God can can get a little distorted. It can get a little messed up. And so God calls us in Psalm 23 to be a people who restore or refresh, or I'll use the 2020 uh, Kendall Laughlin International Version, recharge our souls. Okay, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. We love this verse. That's why it's one of the most popular verses in the Bible. We all know that we have some kind of interior need for our soul to be recharged, to be refreshed, to be restored. One of the reasons I love this this verse is because it connects the soul and the body. And so what you see here is, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So yeah, that's a metaphor, but it also speaks of our physical needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes God is like making us lie down. In life, he's like, you, you need a break. I'm actually going to orchestrate situations in your life to make you lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. God likes to bring us to, to, to refreshing places, to places that will give life to our spirits. He restores my soul. In order to receive soul rest, sometimes you must also receive physical rest. Can I get an amen? Anybody felt that before? David speaks of being made to lie down. And I just want to be honest with you. It can be very hard for me to rest. I, I met with a counselor a couple years ago, 
and he said, he said this kind of, it was kind of a throwaway phrase, but it really stuck with me. He said, healthy families know how to do three things. They know how to work hard, they know how to play together, and they know how to do nothing and rest well. And, you know, I found in my life two of those things I really, I really got, we knew how to work hard and play hard, but the do nothing that wasn't part of our family culture. You might think, okay, how is my family and how does that relate? But for me, just learning how to do nothing and relax and rest and not be on the go, that's actually been something I've had to discipline myself to do in life. And it reminds me of uh, probably one of the most ironic passages in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So this is a verse that's about the Sabbath. It's also about Israel going into the promised land. It's also about the eternal rest that we all have as believers in Christ. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as, as God did from his. Speaking of how God rested after he created the world in seven days. Let us therefore, okay, here's the kicker. Let us therefore strive to enter into that rest. I just find that really frustrating. So no one may fall short by the same sort of disobedience. Okay, I don't want to do that. So striving to enter into rest. Like, that is just such a hard concept for me. And it made almost no sense to me until I started having young children. Okay? Now, this resonated a lot with the 9 a.m., so just track me 11 a.m. if you don't have a young child. Because what happens is you have this beautiful baby you, you welcome them into the world. You know, everything's going well. And then a couple months in, you realize, I have to sleep train this child. Like, I don't know if you know this. Human beings aren't actually born knowing how to sleep on their own. At least how they're born here. I don't know, in my family. So with it, there's been a lot of sleep training that's gone on in my house. A lot of hard work. A lot of striving to enter and to rest. I think God might be sleep training some of us right now. Okay. Oh, Ooh, he had my number. Uh, packing for a family vacation. Who here has packed five days for a one-day family vacation? I mean, ridiculous, right? Oh, somebody pointed at his wife. That's hilarious. So, so you know, uh, we're, we have to strive sometimes to enter into that rest. I'm, whenever I leave town, I'm like, okay, who's going to watch the dog? Okay, now, how is the cat going to get fed? Okay, so who's going to watch the house? And what are we going to do with the mail? And is the trash going to be put out on the right night? Or am I going to have these Amazon cardboard boxes in my life for the next 10 years? And, you know, I'm just thinking through all the logistics of leaving town. Maybe, maybe you're not, you don't have a family uh, at this time in your house, but we've all been through that time of needing recovery time from our vacation. Has anybody been there? I had this dream last night. Um, it was not a dream from God. Uh, that I was checking my email on my phone, and the number just kept going up. It's like 500, 550, 600. The unread messages, 700, 750. I was like, oh, no, I'm in like a demonic casino right now. Like, the, the numbers, they just keep. <laughs> I, I, I think my dog finally woke me up. I was so glad. I was so glad that wasn't in, it wasn't in reality. Um, striving to enter into his rest is such an important concept because getting into rest is a lot of work. This is actually part of the culture of the Hebrew people who are extremely diligent about the Sabbath, like their, their Wednesday and Thursday to prepare for their Sabbath is like a day of preparation where they're preparing food, they're shopping, they're doing all kinds of things because they know on this day, I'm going to rest. That's the logistical side of rest, the practical side. But there's also a spiritual side to rest. And one thing I'd want you to know as a pastor 
is your rest is actually opposed by Satan. Your rest is opposed by the devil. How do I know that? Well, a few things. First of all, God commands us to take the Sabbath. And so the resistance you feel in your life to actually resting and taking the Sabbath, that is a spiritual resistance. Like that is, I don't know if you've ever done this, like you intended to take a day off and like the whole universe collided in like the first two hours. Of, like Stephen's nodding, right? This happens to, happens to a lot of us as leaders. And man, like there is such an opposition that can come against rest. I've seen this um, in the Bible. For example, Israel, they're supposed to enter the promised land. It's the place of rest. It's the place of milk and honey. But there's enemies there. Like, it's a battle for rest. Here's, here's, a, here's a verse for you. This is a, from the book of Daniel, and Daniel's having this vision of angels and demons and spiritual warfare. Very otherworldly, but this is what he observes going on in this spiritual battle. Daniel 7, verse 25, this is what Daniel says. Um, it's speaking of his demonic uh, power. He shall speak words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High. Man, I think one of the enemy's main strategies in the last two years has been to wear you out. This might be a very important message for you because God wants to grow resilience in your heart and in your life. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I had a dream years ago. I was just driving down the street. It was a dream from God. And I saw a billboard in the dream. And the billboard said this, rest is the weapon that empowers your destiny. Kind of wordy for a billboard. But there's something in us when we rest that we are empowered to walk into the purposes of God. That's why our rest is opposed. That's why our rest is important. And for you, in response to this message, it might just be a very simple thing to say, I, I've been, I'm here at All People's the last couple weeks. We've been decluttering this soul. This is the week I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm going to make a purposeful, physical response to rest. My goal, typically um, in preaching, is to preach a 33-minute sermon. Don't ask me why. That's just a good time chunk for me. And I thought, well, what if I, what if I tithed a third, I mean, a tenth of this sermon? So that would be, be about three minutes. What if we spent three minutes of this sermon actually resting in God and letting God put his rest in us? And so I want to introduce you to an app I've been using um, the last year. It's called the One Minute Pause app. It's available in the App Store for anyone that has a smartphone, and it's put together by John Eldridge and his Wild at Heart ministry. And it's, it's amazing because they have this app where basically whatever you're doing throughout your day, you can say, I'm going to take a quick pause, and I'm going to reconnect with God and allow him to fill me with my rest. I find that this is a problem for a lot of people, like just in their work lives. Like they want to stay connected to God around the workday, but it's just it's difficult to keep your focus on him. And so I've been using this app to take little spiritual vacations, just a minute, two minutes, three minutes, and reconnect with God. So these are some times I've used this app uh, to walk the dog, when I would walk in the dog. When I was putting a child down to sleep, it's taking extra time, and I'm sitting in their room, and you know they're kind of winding down. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a pause here. I'm gonna connect with God during this time. When I've been commuting to work, when I've been hiding on my lunch break, um, when I've been sitting in the privacy of my own office, I've used these things as an opportunity to connect with God. So we actually, we have a screenshot video here of the um, one minute pause app and we are gonna take a three minute rest pause together, right here, right now, in the middle of this sermon, 
to connect with God. So let's put that, let's put that video up and there'll be some words that come on the screen, but honestly, you can just close your eyes and let God speak to you during this moment and put his rest into your heart and to your soul. Great. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. What do you need to let go of? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. I love you. I believe you. I worship you. Restore our union, Lord. Heal and restore our union. that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray for more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. I pray the river of life would fill me, restore me, renew me, surround me. I need more of you, God. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your life. That's good. That's enough for now. Who enjoyed that commercial break for the Holy Spirit? <laughs> that was awesome, right? Yeah, just as we were doing that, um, God gave me an image for someone here. Uh, I think it's for a mom, and um, I saw like a bunch of Legos, and the Legos represented uh, pieces of your children's lives that you were trying to put together and organize, and it was just like a lot of work, it was stressful, and it wasn't coming together, and um, as I was just observing this picture, I felt like the Lord was giving me, what I saw was your house went underwater and became a submarine, <laughs> and what I felt like God was saying is, I'm addressing some things under the surface right now. And when I do that, things will make sense and be able to be put together on top. So maybe that's for somebody here. I don't know. So, great. Back to the message. The resilient soul. Let's look at our, let's look at our passage. 
uh, excuse me, our pathway here. Rest, reframe, recreate resilience. Once we build a habit of rest, it gives us margin in our lives to hear from God. And that's where the journey of reframing comes in. Let's focus on that for a moment. Reframing is when we look at a situation in our lives from a different perspective. Um, Scientifically, actually, what it allows your mind to do is form new layers of meaning in challenging situations. It allows you to form new neural pathways and um, allows you to make meaning even out of pain and suffering. Reframing is a key to building uh, resilience. And there's some things that are happening when we reframe in our lives. We're saying, okay, God, actually, I'm not in control of this world. There are just challenging circumstances. There is pain that's going to happen in my life because I live in this world. I mean, Jesus said it, right? He said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? If Jesus said it was going to happen, it's probably going to happen, right? Okay? And so what reframing does, it allows us to see the challenges in our life through God's perspective. Regardless of what your favorite podcast or motivational conference says, you can't manifest your own fate. Like, there, there, there is just challenges in this world, and then there is a God that is orchestrating your life in response to those things. And I like to think of reframing maybe uh, in this context. Who here knows what a Polaroid picture is, okay? Steph, who's a mom to teenagers, told me Polaroids are actually back in. I'm so excited. I love Polaroids, okay? So what a Polaroid picture is when I was growing up is you had these cameras, and you take a picture, and the picture would print out right from the camera. You wouldn't even have to go to the drugstore and drop off your film. And the, the picture would, would print right out, and it would be in a little white frame. And what you would do is you would write in a Sharpie under the picture something about the frame, like day at the beach or whatever. And then you would have that picture, and then you'd also have your note, your frame, about what, what, how you made meaning out of that picture. Um, a modern-day analogy might be Instagram, right? You got your feed, you post your pictures, and then you have your caption, Right? And then every so often someone posts a picture, you know, they have a caption, and then they go in and they edit their caption. Maybe there was a typo, maybe they said something the way they didn't want to say it, maybe they forgot to, you know, tag somebody and give them a photo cred or whatever. But, but they have their caption of the picture that gives meaning to the picture. So this is how this relates to reframing. A lot of times we frame situations in our life according to the pain we experience. Like, Big pain, you know, like deaths in the family, illnesses, losing job, recession, like big pain, like, or sometimes it's even little pain. Like there was a week, like a couple months ago, that I just allowed my whole week to be framed by the fact that I kept ordering this one fire pit from Target, and every time I picked it up, it was broken. And it was just like totally stressing me out. And, you know, just a frustration of of living in this world. So sometimes there's little pain, sometimes there's big pain. But we so often frame things we are going through according to the pain we're experiencing. And uh, pain is real. Like, I'm not saying we should deny it. Like, we feel loss. That's natural. That's normal. But here's the problem. If we make meaning of the situations in our life according to the pain we experience from them, we will end up in a reactive, non-creative state and lose our initiative. It's a victim mentality. Like, this happened to me, and so my whole life is defined now 
by this painful event. Does anyone know what I'm talking about, right? You've probably been there before. I've been there. Like something happened to me and I was like, man, I'm going to, this is, this is, this pain is framing this season of my life. I just, I can't see through it. I can't get out of it. This is what David said in Psalm 31. He said, my eyes fail from sorrow. Another translation says, my eyes are blinded by grief. Pain actually inhibits our ability to see rightly. It's like swimming underwater and chlorine without goggles. Like you can kind of see the people that are over there, but you don't quite know what's going on. That's what pain does to us. It doesn't give us the purest picture of reality. So what has God called us to do? Rather than reframing life through our pain, rather than framing life through our pain, he calls us to frame life through his providence. Okay, so what's providence? Providence is a doctrinal belief. It's a, it's a doctrinal word. And this is what you're saying when you're saying you believe in God's providence. You're saying God saw this was going to happen in advance, and he has already provided a way through it. That's God's providence. God's providence is most evidence in the Bible, in my opinion, and the life of Joseph. Joseph went through years of abuse and mistreatment. And at the end of his life, Genesis chapter 50, what does he say? You meant it for evil. Yeah, I could frame my life this way. You, you, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good because this is going to work out for the salvation of many people. That's the power of reframing. It allows us to see the purposes and perspective of God in our painful situation. Okay, story, story from recent history. Uh, in the 1980s, there's a big phone company in America called Ma Bell, okay? And they had a monopoly over all the phone lines. And so the government came in and said, hey, you can't have a monopoly, so we're gonna have to split up this company. And like when oftentimes happens, when companies get split up, tons of people lost their jobs. Like uh, from, from like entry level all the way to executives. It was very disruptive. And there was some organizational psychologist that had the forethought to say, I'm actually going to study and see this whole group of people, like a couple hundred people, they've lost their jobs. I'm actually going to see how their life works out in response to this painful event. And so they studied all these people's lives over like a 10, 20 year history to see like what would happen to them after losing like their career job because they had pensions, 401ks, like this was kind of their future. Okay, so... There are two groups of people. One group of people, it did not work out well for them. They actually they had a whole subset of people that this one firing, this one layoff, totally ruined their lives. Uh, there a lot of a lot of marriages ended, a lot of stress-related illnesses, um, addictions, uh, self-harm. I mean, the worst kind of mental health challenges. These people, this just pushed them over the edge, into that direction. There was another group of people who almost like used this painful situation as just like a trampoline, like it happened to them, and then they bounced back up. They were resilient, and they went on to have very successful careers in their fields of interest. And so these organizational psychologists, they were trying to figure out what is the difference, right? These are all people that work for the same company, most in the same region, same educational background, just kind of like a similar profile of people. So there must have been something in their mindset that caused the difference. So here's what they found. The group of people that struggled and that this event, event, painful event really defined their future, this is the question they asked. At the moment of firing, when they processed it with their organizational psychologist, they were asking this question, how do I get back what I lost? That's the question they were asking. So I had, I was, it was going so well. I had retirement, I had my job, I had my plans, I had the prestige and the status of working in this big company. How do I get it back? It's gone now. That was their posture. 
The people that use this painful event actually as a launching pad to something great, this was their question. Okay, this happened. Now, what does this mean for my future? You see the difference in orientation? Do you see the difference in reframing the event? Man, we could look back through the last couple of years and say, how do I get back what I had? Right? I mean, it's a very natural thing to do. Or we can ask God to reframe our situation and say, okay, God, what does this mean for our future? How do you want us to move forward? Okay, um, here's a story about this reframing on maybe more of a personal level. So uh, I'm in this discipleship group with some men, and we're reading books about, you know, fathers and sons and how how to invest in our children. And so there's some different conversations you're supposed to have with your kids. So what are this, one of these conversations is you're supposed to take your sons on a walk and ask them, what does it mean to be a man? Okay? So I'm with one of my sons, and we're, we're out uh, on a walk. And I say, okay, well, we're going to have a conversation. What does it mean to you to be a man? And this is my most literal child. He's very, very literal, very concrete thinker. And so I so said, what does it mean to be a man? And he looked at me and said, hmm, man is dirt. Thought, okay, all right, man is dirt. Oh, he, Genesis. Okay, so I'm like, okay, yeah, like we're getting the Bible. Okay, great. Man is dirt. So we talk about that a little bit. I was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of things made out of dirt. There's a lot of things made out of carbon. We have plants in our house. Those, that, plants aren't men, right? He's like, okay, yeah, that's a good point. So I said, okay, so what else? What else is a man? And he says, man has a heart. And I'm like, getting warmer. But our dog's name is Pepper. I was like, well, well, Pepper has a heart. Like, she's not a man, right? Like, no. Like, y- your mom has a heart, but she's a woman. And so we're, we're, talk- we're talking through this. And I was like, okay. So I can tell the wheels are turning, but we kind of get stuck. So I changed my question. And I said, what are some qualities? What are some qualities of a man? And so we're starting to get somewhere. He's talking about courage, initiative, stewardship. You know, we're having some great, great conversations on what it means to be a man. You know, men don't just do what they want to do. They do what needs to be done. Like they rise up and lead. We're having this conversation. And then, uh, and then I said, well, who do you know? Who do you know that's a man? Thankfully, he said me. Like, you know, uh, he said his grandfathers, which I was so proud, of, so proud of them for being great grandfathers. He said a couple of my friends. He's like, oh, Joel, he's a man because he works at a ranch sometimes. I was like, okay, great, you know. So, you know, he's talking about different men in our community, and I'm thankful for that. And then it was one of those moments, um, really hard to explain, but it's almost like the wind kind of changed. And I'm like, I'm in a God moment right now. Like, God's about to do something. And so my son gets real quiet, and he says, Dad, um, why does God allow hard things in our life to happen to make us into men? Like, okay, we're going there. And, and what you might not know is, is this child had a very difficult school year uh, socially with someone else in his class, and there was just a lot of pain associated with that over the course of the year. And so I said, well, what do you mean? And then he mentioned, he mentioned this other boy's name. Like, oh, wow, yeah, this, this, is getting very, this is getting very real for you. And so I did something smart, which I don't often do, but I had the faith to do it in this moment, which rather than answering his question, I thought, let's ask God the answer to that question. 
And so I said, well, well what, do you, what do you think God would say about that? So we stopped, we're on our walk, and we prayed, and we asked the Holy Spirit to answer to his question. I was amazed at what God spoke to him. Um, this isn't my most spiritual child. Like, exercises like this are pretty hard for him, actually. And he just immediately came back with something. And he said, well, well, God is telling me that he allowed this situation in my life so I could see him as good, and he could be good, and I could learn how to see other people as good. That is a very practical explanation of reframing. Like, this whole school year for him has been defined by this painful relationship. In a moment, God comes in and speaks, hey, I'm actually doing something in you. I'm preparing you to be a hopeful leader that sees the good in other people, right? I'm preparing this child because he actually needed someone to see the good in him. And it was this amazing conversation. And, you know, a couple weeks later, uh, we're, we're at school, and that, that child receives an award. I was so proud of my son because he was the first kid to stand up and clap and cheer on. His, he's walking it out. And this is how God builds resilience in us, by reframing our pain so we can see his providence. Does anyone out there know what I'm talking about? Like, this is, this is what happens in, in inner healing, right? Where we say, okay, I have this painful, traumatic experience, but God, where were you? Of course he knows about it. And so he comes in and he, he retunes our soul. He speaks to us and brings meaning out of our pain. God wants to reframe our pain and help us see his providence. Sometimes it takes some time. Like, there's a lot of younger people in this service. Um, so you, you were maybe born around September 11th, uh, 2001. I was, a, I was a freshman in college that year. So it was a very formative year in my life. It, it took me five to ten years to really understand what happened. There. Sometimes it takes some time after a traumatic event. Like, to, to ref- it doesn't always happen instantly. But we, just, we have to sit before God and say, okay, I need you to wipe off what's on this Polaroid picture. Like, I've got to see your perspective here. I can't change what happened. God, what does this mean for my future? That's the power of reframing. To have rest, so important, receiving our rest from God. By the way, one thing you just do is ask God, like, God, what's the best way for me to rest? Like, so many times we, we just see everyone else's hobbies or we live in a great city like San Diego. There's so many options of things to do. It can feel overwhelming. We can have paralysis by analysis, Right? One thing that, that, that happened to me a couple years ago is I said, okay, I was praying into this and asking God how to rest, and I felt like God spoke, go sail a boat. And I love sailing boats now, and I'd never done it before. I did it for the first time at 37. It was a great learning experience. And so you never know what God will speak to you and reveal to you according to rest. Someone said after the last service, play is the only active form of rest. So resting doesn't just mean you have to take a nap, although that's allowed. Okay? okay, it's allowed. Okay, Hudson told us. Okay, but um, it might mean some more hobby or something to do with your community. Okay, here's my final point: recreate. Here's my recreate. The last, the last stop on the path of resilience here. Recreate. A couple years ago, I started hearing this phrase, which I'd never heard before: um, post-traumatic growth. Has anyone heard that phrase, post-traumatic growth? A couple of us, right? So we all, we all are familiar with post-traumatic stress, right? That's a clinical condition that happens to people because of painful experiences. There's been a lot of great work done on that that's important to seek help for that. If you've experienced that, a lot of military, a lot of people on the street, people, people have, have that. And um, this isn't to minimize that at all. But in positive psychology, 
there is another phrase, post-traumatic growth. And so, so they've studied the grieving process um, and the trauma associated with that. And they've tried to figure out what launches people into something new at the end of the grieving process. Like, how do, how do they make it? And this is, what, this is the phrase that they found. Creativity is the essential response to grief. Creativity is the essential response to grief. Once you've rested, once you've reframed your situation, it's time for God to lead you into something new. Creativity is the key to long-term resilience. So true resilience is beyond just like self-care, right? It's beyond the spa day, okay? True resilience is beyond just, you know, toughing it out and gritting your teeth and staying at your post. True resilience is going through hard times and still reflecting the image of God within you as creator, right? So, so there's a principle in studying the Bible. It's called the law of first mention. And so however something is defined first in the Bible um, is very, very important for us understanding God's ways. And so how does God reveal himself first in the Bible? Creator, right? He creates the world. And then you see Adam and Eve, like, They are made into his image. What's Adam's first job? Naming the animals. So that that creative power is moving through Adam, right? And then it's be fruitful and multiply. So more more creations happening. Well, what's, what's the first instance in the Bible of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit? Exodus chapter 31 and chapter 33, there's a man that's filled with the Holy Spirit for creative craftsmanship. Then then, the third instance we see in Deuteronomy 8.18 is actually someone that's filled with the spirit for entrepreneurship. It says there's power to make wealth. And so God is so creative. and, and, And our creativity is something that reflects his image. And so true resilience is actually going through the pain Letting God reframe your situation and say, okay, God, now what is the new thing you're birthing in my life, right? How, how can I respond creatively to this situation? Our creativity is our response to God's work of grace in our life. We, did, we just went through a season uh, on going to Galatians on Sunday. There's a, there's a huge connections here in, in Galatians because Paul is talking about how Jesus was publicly, creatively portrayed in dramatic form as crucified, and there's all these thoughts about living creatively. Robert spoke on that. And in that same, in that same, in that same book, there's this challenge regarding religion and grief and death and how we break out of the law. And creativity is who we are as the people of God. And um, what I love about living in San Diego is how creative San Diego is. Anybody else just love the creativity of San Diego? I noticed this um, last night at the Padres game. So we can't just have a normal baseball game in San Diego. It's got to be Star Wars night, right? And so at the beginning of the game, Mandalorian throws out the first pitch. You know, there's all of these Star Wars. There's a fireworks show with like an X-wing at the, end of the, at the end of the game. It's all, there's like, I, I saw a guy in a San Diego Padres hat and a Chewbacca costume. I'm like, wow, that, that describes the creativity of San Diego. And then the food at the Padres game, right? We can't just have a normal hot dog, right? 
it's, it's got to be, you know, wrapped in some kind of artisan bacon with, you know, some kind of special sauce on there. And then they've got this restaurant, this craft thing, and this restaurant. It was just a, such a representation of the culture of San Diego being so creative. And that is who we are, and that is the church our city needs. Is a creative church that helps them understand, no, God has actually put something in your soul to create and to worship him in response to pain. 2 Samuel 22 in the message version. Man, I love this, love this passage. Um, it's meant a lot to me in my life. It says this, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. God creating something new out of our broken lives. When I cleaned up my act, he gave me a fresh start. Indeed, I've kept alert to God's ways. I haven't taken God for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together and I'm watching my step. This is such a powerful phrase here. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. That just speaks of the power, the creative power of God to reframe our situation and birth something new in us. Um, it reminds me of this picture I saw online of the Japanese art of kintsugi. Probably weren't thinking about that this morning when you came to church. Kintsugi, I think we have a picture here of a little pot. You know, in, in Japan, there's this art that originated uh, from the empire, the Japanese empire, where when pottery breaks, they actually fill the pottery with gold, um, liquid gold, and it hardens and it heals the scars of the pottery. Kintsugi is also translated as gold scars. And, you know, when I saw that, I just, I just thought of Jesus showing his scars to the disciples. I think of the scars that I've seen in, in different leaders' life, but God has healed them and filled them with his gold, and he's used that pain to create a life message in their life. Isn't that amazing? Uh, let's, let's go ahead and have the band come up. You can stand up with me.